Good afternoon, folks. I, I I couldn't believe it. I drove to the station, and there's not a dark cloud in the sky. In fact, it's pretty sunny over here at the station. It's pretty sunny my entire drive from home to here. And it's looking like the forecast is showing uh, very ch- few chances of showers until maybe Wednesday night, certainly into Thursday. But just looking at it, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, next Monday and Tuesday, we're off as well from rain. So it looks like the pattern's breaking a little bit. We're getting some, but not a whole lot. Just thank goodness. Now, if the temperatures would just drop as we get further and further into the school year, we'll be good. Yep, yo, that's what I was going to say. You're going to take, you're going to trade the heat for the rain. Uh, it's very tough. I need to act. There's some work that I actually need to get done around the house. It would be nice to do some of the outdoor work without having to worry about it. I I desperately need my lawn mowed uh, at some point in the near future, but that will come at uh, later on. But you know, today is an anniversary. Three hundred and sixty-five days ago. The U.S. withdrew from Afghanistan. And the first, I I think, the most significant outcome of that in terms of American politics is if you look at any polling that tracks Joe Biden's approval rating, the first polls that came out that included this day a year ago that's where you saw Joe Biden's approval rating start to go underwater. You can actually find, I need to include this graph. So maybe I should have included it in the show notes. I didn't, by the way, those show notes are live on KPL965.com. But when you look, you, you see that starting mid August of 2021, Joe Biden's approval rating goes underwater and stays underwater the entire time. Now, Democrats and the media are celebrating that, oh, yeah, he's getting back up into the 40s. Yay, he's back at 40%. Congratulations, everybody. Joe Biden is now, you know, several points underwater rather than double digits underwater. Yippee. But the U.S. government told us that there were a couple dozen, fewer than 100 maybe, people that had to get out of that, that they had to go in and get out of Afghanistan. They routinely told us that everybody who was out needed to be out. And if there were some stragglers, they would, they they would do what they could to get them home. And the Biden administration routinely told us that there's no way the Taliban comes back into power. And there's no way that the country would fall again. There's no way that it would go right back to the status quo from before 2001. We were assured of all that. This from Politico today, the U.S. government has evacuated more than 800 American citizens from Afghanistan since the Taliban swept into power and U.S. troops officially left the country last August, according to data provided by House GOP investigators and the State Department. The figure, which hasn't been previously reported, highlights the ongoing nature of the efforts to make contact with and ultimately evacuate hundreds of Americans who were unable to leave Afghanistan as the U.S. military rapidly withdrew from the country last summer. The data also underscores that hundreds more Americans were left behind in Afghanistan than was previously known. 
A State Department spokesperson confirmed the number of evacuated American citizens and added that at least 600 legal permanent residents of the U.S. have also been evacuated since American boots left the ground. Two weeks after the last U.S. plane left Kabul on August 30, 2021, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken told lawmakers that there were only 100 Americans left in Afghanistan who wanted to leave, emphasizing that the estimate was a snapshot in time. By February 2022, the U.S. had evacuated 479 Americans from Afghanistan, according to a Senate Foreign Relations Committee GOP report. Now, an investigation by the House Foreign Affairs Committee's Republican staff found that 800 Americans were helped out of Afghanistan, indicating that the Biden administration either undercounted the number of Americans who wanted to depart the country or saw an uptick in the number of citizens willing to leave. A committee aide suggested it's possible the number of American citizens whisked out of Afghanistan may yet be higher. Whether they had travel documents or whether they could get to Kabul, that was a part of that was part of the factor, the staffer said. Referring to those left behind after the frenzied evacuation last August, the true number could be closer to 1,000, the aide said, to include those who left Afghanistan via privately funded organizations, many of which were aided by outreach attempts from advisors to Vice President Kamala Harris and First Lady Jill Biden, the investigation found. Those separate efforts were necessary in part because only 36 U.S. consular offices were on the ground in Kabul to help process the evacuees, the report concludes. The Biden administration lied. They lied about how many Americans were left. They lied about how many they got out. It wasn't until Republicans in the House investigated, got the numbers from the State Department. The State Department then confirmed those numbers when reporters started asking. Americans were lied to. The withdrawal was so chaotic that not even media outlets could cover it up. And the Biden administration was furious with folks like Jake Tapper at CNN and other reporters from other outlets that were actually covering the absolute debacle that was the Afghanistan withdrawal. It's very hard to describe the level of incompetence it takes to have a situation like you had in Afghanistan. It's very hard to describe it other than to just throw your hands in the air, shrug, and, and just look confused. Like, there are no words. Biden's own military advisors told him it was a mistake. Biden ignored them. Biden held the U.S. military to an arbitrary deadline that he created in order to have Americans out of Afghanistan before the 20th anniversary of the September 11th attacks that led to American troops going to Afghanistan. And this is not preaching that we should still be in Afghanistan, by, by the way. I'm, I'm not actually for that. We had a chance. Nation building as a, as a strategy did not work, and it primarily did not work because nation building takes 10 years and American presidential administrations only last at max eight years. There's no way you have a sitting administration in there long enough to see it through. Policies change. Uh, the, the, or the order of importance of 
of certain ideas gets rearranged. You will never have a consistency in administration long enough to make nation building work. But it took an exceptional ego in Joe Biden to ignore all the military advisors and say, we need this rushed withdrawal right now. And as a result of that rushed withdrawal, 13 service members died. 800 people had to be, and probably closer to 1,000, had to be rescued from Afghanistan. And the American people are keenly aware. That is the point. You look at all the polling. That is the exact point that Americans lost faith in the competency of Joe Biden. 232-1542. Let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back, we'll have more on this and Liz Cheney because her numbers do not look great. I will cover that and more here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542. If you want to call in and be part of today's program. So it's been a year since the American public realized that Joe Biden's administration was actually incompetent and didn't know what they were doing. And that's according to the polls. I'm not saying that you or I uh, didn't know that until August 15, 2021. We had a sneaking suspicion. But the American public in general had really very little clue. I mean, this was a guy who ran on a campaign of uh, I'm not the other guy. And the other guy is the reason we have the COVID problems, the shutdowns. And, and he's just mean, mean tweets, mean tweets, mean tweets. I'm going to return to normalcy. And he comes in and he sets his deadline and completely bungles the whole thing. But the problem for the Democrats and the problem for some Republicans isn't Donald Trump. The problem is that the American people are focused on things near and dear to them and the politics of Washington, D.C., are what's holding a lot of them back. Take Liz Cheney, for example. Six years ago, Liz Cheney and Donald Trump were elected on the same day. Cheney has consistently won re-election with more than 60% of the vote in Wyoming's at-large House District races. Remember, Wyoming, because of its population, has one House seat, and Liz Cheney has had that seat since 2016. In 2020, she almost topped 70% of the Wyoming vote. Donald Trump did get 70% of that vote. But in the two years since that election, Cheney has devoted herself to the ongoing prosecution of Trump, culminating in her participation in the January uh, 6th committee and their hearings. Her goal, along with fellow anti-Trump Republican Adam Kinzinger, has been to tell America how awful Trump is and how, is he, how he is a treasonous insurrectionist. She has made it her mission to convince Republicans that Trump is poison. In the wake of her crusade, Harriet Hageman, a former Cheney ally, is now running to take her spot. In the most recent poll... Hageman is up 29 points over Liz Cheney. But it's important to understand that Wyoming voters, yes, they voted for Trump. And yes, Wyoming voters do care about the 2020 election, things like that. 
Hageman is not running on Trump or the 2020 election or defending Trump or going against Cheney for any of that. Hageman is running an election with one simple message. This race is about Wyoming, nothing else. That's a direct quote from her to a CNN reporter that was following her on the campaign trail. Hageman is convinced, and rightfully so, that if she makes this about Wyoming, that's her best shot. Cheney's been focused entirely on Washington, D.C., focused entirely on Donald Trump, and has completely neglected her home state. Hageman, by the way, has been uh, a natural resources attorney, specialized in cases protecting the state's water, public lands, and agriculture, has uh, combated federal regulation encroachment into Wyoming. She's been focused on her state and has that record and will continue to have that record going to Congress. Liz Cheney has been preaching in primetime television hearings that the person 70% of her state voted for was a bad person and the Republicans supporting him were also bad. I, I mentioned this the other day because uh, Nun, Billy Nungesser said that he was running for uh, for a governor in 2023. Yippee! You know that's that's his headlines. That is Nungesser's headlines. Except for the day he formally announces in 2023, that is Nungesser's headline. His announcement. That's it. That's the only headlines he'll be able to generate as a candidate. Nungesser is going to run as a middle-of-the-road, moderate guy. The problem with moderate candidates, the problem with candidates that like to alienate the far extremes of their side, is that they are telling voters in their own party not to vote for them. It's not about you. It's about this slim group of independent voters in the middle of the road. That's who I care about. That's what Nungesser says when he's when he's positioning himself as a moderate Republican in the race. And that's what Cheney's doing. Cheney is telling her own party, you know, 70% of the voters back home voted for Trump. She's telling all those voters, she doesn't need you. You supported Trump. You're not a good person. She actually said Republicans cannot be loyal to Donald Trump and loyal to the Constitution. She just told the people that supported her for the last three elections don't vote for me. You cannot win an election like that. The election for Liz Cheney is not about Donald Trump. Elections going on across the country right now are a little bit about Trump, but a lot about the stuff going on at home. By making the race about Wyoming, Harriet Hageman is winning. Voters care about the kitchen table issues. They care about the economy. They care about gas prices. They care about supply chain issues. They care about all the things that affect their wallet, their bank account, their families directly. And it's the Democrats who are in charge while all of this is going on. They don't care about Trump. The ratings prove that. The ratings of the January 6th committee hearings prove the American public, by and large, really doesn't care about Donald Trump. 
If you notice how quickly the media has moved away from the FBI raid after last week, you can tell they're following their audience. The audience was not responding to the stories after a while. I can tell you that looking at internet traffic, looking at social media traffic, people have moved on once again. Trump can only maintain the public's attention for so long before everybody remembers, hey, gas is $1.50 more than it was when Joe Biden took office. Hey, I went to the store and couldn't find something. Hey, I went out to eat and it cost 50% more than it used to. So you can try to make things about Trump. You can try to make things about the politics of Washington, D.C., but ultimately the voters who are going out to vote, who are the most motivated to vote, are all trying to figure out who can they put in charge to keep the prices from going up any further. Let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back, we'll have more here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. So I need to go back about a month to a story that was written by Democratic Party press spokesman Tyler Bridges in The Advocate. I love this breathless first line from Bridges. Gary Chambers Jr. has done it again. That's what Tyler Bridges wrote about the fourth online ad that Chambers released about abortion. On Monday, Chambers released his fourth online ad in the uphill campaign to defeat U.S. Senator John N. Kennedy. And like the first three, this one goes far beyond traditional norms as Chambers deplores the recent U.S. Supreme Court decision ending nationwide, ending the nationwide right to an abortion. Viewer discre- discretion advised, the 90-second spot warned at the beginning. This, this sentence is also fantastic as well. The ad, imagining the risky and illegal abortions that will occur in post-Roe America, will occur, not could occur, will occur because of the extreme Supreme Court. The ad, imagining the risky and illegal abortions that will occur in post-Roe America, contains a graphic dramatization of a procedure gone wrong. A young woman is seen lying on a bed in a cheap motel room, her legs spread apart while a, map, while a man performs the abortion. But, cash in hand, he is seen as gathering up his instruments and scurrying away before the procedure is over. Moments later, viewers see the young woman lying on the bathroom floor, drenched in blood. This is a month ago. Gary Chambers has joined the Democratic bandwagon on the abortion issue. The Democrats really and truly believe that they can breathe life. They can breathe life into abortion as a key voting, uh, a a key voter motivation, voter motivator. This story comes from the New York Times yesterday. In Michigan, Democrats took aim at the Republican nominee for governor almost immediately after the primary with a television ad highlighting her opposition to abortion without exceptions for rape or incest. In Georgia, Democrats recently attacked the Republican governor in another television ad with women speaking fearfully about the specter of being investigated and criminalized. By the way, Georgia's anti-abortion bill wouldn't do either of those things. All across America, Democrats are using abortion 
as a powerful cudgel against their 2022 television campaigns. Paying for an onslaught of ads in House, Senate, and Governor's races that show how swiftly abortion politics have shifted since the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade in late June. The Democrats are trying to make abortion a key election issue, and there's no polling out there that really shows abortions moving the needle all that much. Abortion is really, at best, seventh or eighth on the list of issues that voters care about. Like like I said in the last segment, voters are concerned about the stuff affecting their families right now. How will I feed my family? How will I afford the gas to take my kids to school, to take them where they need to go, to visit family in case of an emergency? How will I, how, where will I be able to find some of the things at the store that I've struggled to find? What about those who are still worried about formula? There's still some shortages out there. There's shortages of other items. People care about all these things. They care about the things that are affecting their families immediately, and abortion ain't it. Now, yes, abortion does make people kind of wary. Banning abortion kind of makes people wary. The issue does motivate a small percentage of very active voters, but here's the thing. Those voters were already going to vote. If you have a passionate, passionate view on abortion, pro or anti, you were already going to vote in 2022. The Democrats are hoping that they can convince independent women that the Republicans are coming to take away their rights. But by and large, independent women aren't worried about abortions right now. Right now, independent women are largely worried about taking care of their families. And abortion, what they have access to, what they don't have access to, is on down the list of things that are important to them. The New York Times story goes on. In the roughly 50 days since the Supreme Court's ruling, Democrats have flooded the airwaves in many of the nation's most closely watched contests, spending nearly eight times as much as Republicans have on ads talking about abortion. 31.9 million compared with 4.2 million according to a data from Ad Impact, a media tracking firm. And in the closest Senate and governor's contest, Republicans have spent virtually nothing countering the Democratic offensive. I wonder why that is. If the Republicans are looking at the closest races in the country, the country where they need to throw money in to save seats or win seats, and they're not running any ads on abortion, that right there should tell you. They don't think it's moving the needle. The Republican groups, the Republican PACs, all of these candidates that have really good polling firms are all out there measuring day in and day out what the important issues are. And to a man, everybody is saying the economy, inflation, supply chain, gas prices. They're all saying the same things. But the Democrats are willing to spend millions upon millions of dollars that they desperately need to hold on to a lot of seats, thinking that abortion is going to be the saving grace here. And it's not.
the Democrats looked at what happened in Kansas. Remember, in Kansas, they had, what was it, a week or two ago, they had a referendum on the ballot. And that referendum was to add a constitutional amendment that would uh, that would remove uh, a right to abortion in the in the state's constitution or something like that. But the the referendum was so poorly worded, a lot of people were confused. There are several news outlets that reported people were confused by the language of that referendum, by that amendment. And truth be told, the American public is comfortable with abortion in the first trimester. But the Democrats have been pushing for abortion up until the child exits the birth canal, which is way too extreme for the independent voters out there. They think there should be some limits. But the Democrats are going to go out there and and try to push it as you should have the right to do so whenever and nobody should say anything about it. And that's not moving the needle. The folks who are motivated to go vote want to see a change because the current people in power have done nothing to fix the problems that the voters see were caused by the group in power. If Democrats focus on the issue of abortion at the expense of other matters, the economy, inflation, gas prices, a recession, all of that's going to crush the Democrats in November. And that's what they're paving the way for right now. Right now, the Democrats think that they have a bump in the polling and that abortion is helping. They think that Joe Biden's on the rebound. They think that the Republican wave isn't actually as strong as everybody thought it was going to be. But when you look at the issues people are polling about, every poll is showing that the very things that Democrats are ignoring in favor of abortion and stuff like that, that's what the Republicans are crushing Democrats on. All politics is local and there is nothing Nothing more local to the people right now than their bank account, their wallet, and the kitchen table. What is affecting their families the most? It's the economy, stupid. To quote James Carville. 232-1542. Let's take another break. When we come back, we'll wrap things up here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. This uh, just kind of coming in, uh, the Department of Justice says it intends to unseal additional documents related to the Mar-a-Lago search from last week, but they opposed the release of the underlying FBI affidavit because it would, quote, serve as a roadmap to the government's ongoing investigation, providing specific details about its direction and likely course in a manner that is highly likely to compromise future investigative steps. Quote, the fact that this investigation implicates highly classified materials further underscores the need to protect the integrity of the investigation. I told you guys last week, except on very, very rare occasions, of which I don't know any off the top of my head, affidavits don't get unsealed. 
because they are basically the foundation of an investigation. If you don't want to know what, I mean, if you don't want people to know what you're investigating, how you're going to be investigating it, the affidavit should not be public. The problem is that the DOJ is arguing that you can't even release a redacted version of it without rendering it useless to the reader. So don't even bother looking at it. This is what they're actually saying. The affidavit cannot responsibly be unsealed in a redacted form, absent redactions that would be so extensive as to render the document devoid of content that would be mean that would meaningfully enhance the public's understanding of these events beyond the information already now in the public record. So if anybody's looking for the affidavit to be released, very unlikely it's going to happen. Uh, I mean, Trump could try to sue to, to, to get it released to the public, but chances are no judge is going to go for that because it would impede the FBI investigation, whether or not you think the investigation is justified. Now, uh, if you'll notice, that's the only bit on that that I'm talking about because that's all, that's really all there is that's new on the FBI raid. Most media companies have dropped it. Um, there's some reporting on it, but it's not making headlines right now. The raid is a week old. A lot of people have moved on. And it's unlikely you're going to see anything new unless Trump gets charged with something. Now, media reports are moving on. Rudy Giuliani is now supposed to, uh, is now a, a subject of investigation in Georgia regarding, uh, regarding the, the vote counting and all that. Uh, it, it's just, there's other things happening. Lindsey Graham now has to go testify. He's trying to appeal that. They're flooding the zone. We talked about this on Friday. One of the callers mentioned they're flooding the zone with as much information as possible just to keep the January 6th stuff, the insurrection, the election stuff, keep all that going. There really is not a whole lot out there that's new on the raid, on the investigation. There's not. And, and you're not going to see anything new. So they're going to try to throw other stories out there that keep things going. And the media is more than happy to jump in on that because the media desperately wants Trump and January 6th and the 2020 election and all this nonsense to be at the forefront of people's minds. But like I've been saying, all politics is local. Voters are not paying much attention to it. Voters are paying attention to the stuff at home. So let's end the show by following that bit of advice to focus on things at home. Josh Guillory is back. He returned to work after a 21-day stand. I believe he returned to work on Thursday, was in the office the full day Friday, and had a press release today. Um, and uh, The Current is out there uh, pushing a story on Guillory's uh, construction-related business that he and his wife started years ago. Uh, they're wanting to know just what businesses Guillory's business has worked with. Do any of them do projects for LCG and is that a conflict of interest? Uh, Guillory says, no. Um, this is his quote. Look, anybody that knows me, that's a fair question. So my wife and I started a company. She's majority owner, but Louisiana is a community property state. I'm very proud of her efforts. I'm pr very proud of her leadership. And I've always said, there's only one person I wouldn't run against and that's her and for the right reasons. But I think she's on my side. I think, I hope so. 
she's here. And then he goes on from there. Anybody that knows me from when I started office, you know, whatever I do, these guys are all familiar with it. Everything must be lawful and ethical. He's going out and he's basically saying, no, that business is not doing work with LCG-related projects. He's not benefiting from LCG-related projects. He wouldn't let any follow-up questions on that from the uh, from on, on the press conference today. So any reporters that asked about that current story, they could ask their question, but there were no follow-up questions allowed on that. They moved on. The big focus was obviously going to be uh, – the, the rehab stint. And, of course, he was asked about the uh, city and parish councils not being allowed to name an interim leader, the fighting going on behind the scenes about that. Uh, he said, the people elected me, elected my policies, elected my thoughts and ideas, and the administration is there to carry out those thoughts and ideas. 21 days is not a long time, and I feel like the folks deserve those initiatives to go forward, and thankfully we have great leaders in place. Some of those guys and ladies are in this room right now, and you can carry out the and and can carry out those initiatives. Uh, so Guillory is standing firm on the idea he should not have stepped down, should not have let there be an interim leader put in place, that his administration could continue working uh, as intended while he was doing the stint, maintaining he had contact with with folks that he was uh, doing work while he was there, all of that stuff, and. Uh, you know, Guillory has been a man who has found himself, I mean, like all politicians, he, he, there's always some controversy that's going to come up this, that, or the other. And, and I just want to say that I'm glad that he went to rehab and got the help he needed. Uh, he says, you know, it's not an immediate cure. He says the first of many bricks and a solid foundation in a lifelong recovery plan. Kudos to him for getting that started. Happy for him. And I you know, hope for his well-being and the people who, uh, the, there, there are a lot of people, and I mentioned this when he, you know, announced this rehab stint, uh, there were people who mocked it. Uh, a, a lot of y'all who, who did that, you, you may not have experienced somebody with alcoholism. You may not have experienced somebody with PTSD. And there's a lot that goes into trying to deal with that. Whatever's going on, I hope that he's able to work through it and he's able to finish out his term. And if he wants to run in, run again, go for it. All of that said, there's a lot of things that we in Lafayette do need to work on. And I'm hoping that we can put this particular part behind us and get back to doing some of that work. 23 hours to go until the next edition of the Joe Cunningham Show. In the meantime, follow me on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham. Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show and check out the podcast version of the show on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. But don't worry, I'm not gone for long. I'll be back in just a few minutes here on Offsides with Shannon Wilkerson with the topics of the day. You guys have a good one. I'll talk to you guys soon here on News Talk 96.5 KPL.